Welcome to Brews Rock, your ultimate backstage pass to the captivating tales behind your beloved brews. Get ready for an immersive journey into the craft brewing universe every Friday, where we'll uncover the secrets and inspire you to be part of this extraordinary community. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Adrian. Join us this week as we sit down with Rick Benfield from Blue Blaze Brewing down in Charlotte. From home brewing to running Charlotte's biggest beer festival, Rick's been moving mountains in the craft beer scene since 95. Get ready to hear all about his journey. (coughs) (laughs) Sorry, smell a bug. (laughs) Get ready to hear all about his journey. Let's dive in. So we always start off every episode by asking who you are, what you're doing, where you're working, and your story about how you got to the position where you are today. My name is Rick Benfield. My uh, position here with Blue Blaze is VP of Sales and Marketing. I've been here right at a year and a half. Previous to coming to Blue Blaze, I was part owner and founder of Good Road Cider Works here in town. They were located in the Lower South End area, down in the area where Old Mecklenburg Brewing is, and where Sugar Creek Brewing is. Cider is a very tough business, Mm -hmm. and we were in a very beer-heavy market. COVID and other things just were not kind to us. Mm -hmm. So we ended up having to cease operations, and that gave me the opportunity to move over into the beer world, which is really where I wanted to be. And coming here to Blue Blaze was really one of the better fits that I saw for me and my talents. My background, I started homebrewing back before you guys were born, probably. <laughs> started homebrewing. <laughs> started homebrewing back in 95. And oh, yeah, uh, we, okay. we, were, we, were, we were around. Okay. Not we were little, been diapers, but, we... <laughs> but I was in Wilmington at the time and started brewing, obviously, at, like I said, in 95 and then moved to Charlotte back in 2004 and heard about a year later of a local home brew club here in Charlotte, based in Charlotte, called the Carolina Brewmasters. So I joined that group because I wanted to be around like-minded people and that really changed the direction of really my career. I got involved in the Carolina Brewmasters from an officer standpoint, eventually leading into being president of the club for a couple of years. We also ran a huge craft beer festival that's no longer in in existence here in Charlotte called Charlotte Oktoberfest. We started that back in 99 to teach the local or educate the local Charlotte community about craft beer. And it grew over time. And we ran that. It was 100% volunteer. I think that's something that I know personally would like to learn more about. Like, what was your... You say you guys ran it. What was your capacity of that? What did you do for that festival? Yeah, so basically it was a craft beer festival, and it grew over the years. Mm -hmm. We had not intended for it to grow. Mm -hmm. It was a real small festival. We really started back in 99 uh, as a way to raise enough money to where we could buy a half barrel of spot in Oktoberfest. (laughs) That was was the original goal when we first held Charlotte Oktoberfest way back then. But uh, it, it became a little bit more popular, and every year we added capacity for tickets, and we saw more and more craft beer being involved in the festival. Most of those were from distribution, because back then we didn't have anybody except for Rock Bottom, which was located uptown, and maybe South End Brewing, which no longer exists. Those were the two local breweries at the time, but a lot of the craft beers that we were getting was from distribution. So as we grew, 
ticket sales and sponsorships started coming into play. And we're a home brew club, and we didn't know what to do with all this money. We were yeah. making money, <laughs> and we we're going. We don't feel this feels really weird for a home brew club to be having all this yeah. money. Yeah. So we started a charitable arm, and went to the IRS and designated ourselves as a nonprofit. I think it's a 503c4 or something like that. We began really driving that along with craft beer. We grew for a couple of years to 5,000 people. And that was brewers, attendees, and volunteers. That's a um, huge number huge. for a small festival. Yeah. I grew up right beside Bonnaroo, if you know what yeah. that is. And yeah. it was a similar thing. It was teeny, and then it grew and grew. And we've got friends who have been working on festivals for a couple of years. Yeah. And it's hard to get that number of people like loyal to it was. coming back. And we were the only game in town for the longest time, which helped. Yeah. And we did it the right way. We developed relationships with a lot of the North Carolina breweries. A lot of them would come. North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia. They would make the trip to Charlotte Oktoberfest because we really treated them well. They, they donated their beers at the time, which helped us give the money to charity. Mm -hmm. We paid for their hotel rooms, paid for their hospitality, all of that. We just treated them really well, which is why they came back every year. And with them coming back, that just helped our attendance grow year yeah. after year. And we're just taking volunteers. We're, this was a 100% volunteer-run organization. So for a couple of years, we had it 5,000 people. I was on organizing committee for 10 years, and I led Charlotte Oktoberfest as director for two of those years, 2014 yeah. and 2015. And in 2015, we started seeing the festival climate begin to change. Mm -hmm. And we started seeing a lot more festivals pop up. We had a lot of festivals that came to us for advice and yeah. so forth. So we saw a number of festivals that grew out of Charlotte Oktoberfest, basically. So we saw the festival climate start to change. Ticket sales became a little bit more challenging. People were beginning to experience festival fatigue. Mm -hmm. So we got to where we are today that festivals aren't just the same as they, they once were. A lot of them are you trying gotta to have be money something. makers. Yeah, you gotta have something to bring people in exactly. nowadays. There's not just like a loyal following to right. your festival because you're doing something that everybody, you know, everyone's got a festival now. You gotta have something yeah. to get yeah. And for a number of years, we had our homebrew tent. So we oh. had homebrewer and homebrew clubs, again, from Virginia, North and South Carolina that come up and we were all under one tent. Now, what we didn't realize at the time was that was not kosher with North Carolina ABC laws. Oh. And once we figured that out, we had to obviously stop the homebrew tent. But that was one of the bigger draws. It was actually a bigger draw than some of the larger craft breweries. Did you get like there. a letter or something? No, like? there was an instance up in Asheville with Burning Can that was an Oscar Blues event, and I don't remember the background on that. There were, I think there were some brews that came in that didn't get proper approvals, mm -hmm. and so the ABC and the ALE caught wind of that, so they started cracking down on all festivals statewide. Yeah. And yeah. we got wind of the fact that homebrew was not a legal component of what we were doing, even though when we submitted our plans to ABC to get approval for our ABC permit that you day, had it, in it clearly said homebrew tent. Were you selling the homebrew or no. you just, and no. they still didn't want it to be there? Basically what it was is we were selling tickets to the event. Oh, so you're so still making still money in, They were still buying a ticket mm -hmm. that included homebrew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Their biggest concern there was 
a safety issue mm -hmm. because homebrew has not been tested. There's no quality control on what people can throw with their homebrews. Mm -hmm. So basically from that standpoint, it was like, hey, this isn't safe for the public. We want to keep the public safe, which yeah. we understood. Mm -hmm. We just hated to get rid of the homebrew tent because it was such a big draw. Yeah. Our best year at giving to local charities was $85,000 in one yeah. year, and I think that was 2014. But over the years, we gave just shy of a million dollars to local so charities. So that was one of our big, our big champions there to drive success of Charlotte Oktoberfest. So have you brought that culture to Blue Blaze with you here? Yeah, and it, it was really already here. The one thing that's been nice about being with Blue Blaze we have a different, kind of a different angle. We obviously are connected to hiking and mm -hmm. backpacking. I saw hammocks for sale out there. Yeah. I want to check know, those out. <laughs> so that's our, that's been our, our mantra is that outdoorsy world. So you'll find a lot of our beers are named for different outdoor themes. We have different names in, include a blaze, like mm -hmm. yellow blaze and black blaze and blue blaze. If you're hiking, no matter where you're hiking, whether it's the Appalachian Trail or any other trails, you know, the path that you follow is the blaze on the tree. So mm -hmm. you have some trails that are a red blaze. And if you want to do a, it may be a five mile walk or something like that, if you just want to take that particular trail, but they're all blazes on trees. And that's where we came up with this. I never knew um, that's what they were called. Yeah. So blue blaze for a little bit of background, uh, if you're on the Appalachian Trail, and you see a blue blaze, a blue blaze signifies several different things. It could mean it's gonna lead you to a water source. It could lead you to a scenic overlook or could lead you to a welcoming community. So that's the story behind blue blaze. It's you know what's sad about that? <laughs> is I'm an Eagle Scout and I grew up <laughs> hiking and out in the woods and nowhere did anyone teach me that. It took me all the way till I'm 31 and been going out in the wilderness so much by myself. And then finally in the beer world, someone's like, you know what those things are called and what they do? And I'm yeah. like, no, please well, tell hey, me. If you're listening right now and you're on a trail, follow the Blue Blaze. Blue Blaze. Yeah. There you go. Blue Blaze will take always you. take care of you. Good places, yeah. water, scenic, the things you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had been in the corporate world. I had been a sales training manager for a local mortgage company. And while I was making you know, pretty good money there, it was just like, it was tough. It yeah. was sucking the life out of me every oh, day. And yeah. it wasn't really what I wanted to do with my long-term career. And I had the opportunity to obviously get into the craft side of the business. And that's what's been fun. And I've been a part of this local community since basically 2005. And like I said, landing here was a, a great opportunity because they needed somebody of, of what I had to give. And they offered me something that I was looking for, trying to continue to grow the brand and things of that nature. So, yeah, speaking of the brand, the outdoor, the community, I had to ask about the wall that says play us and a bunch of instruments. Yeah. And you got a, a was that a baby grand out there? We do. Yeah, that's Atticus, our head yeah. brewer. He actually plays the piano. He moved into a small apartment not far from here, and it was too small to include the piano, so we've moved it in there. Oh, nice. People will come in and play that. But yeah, we've got all the instruments on the walls. They're most of the times in tune. <laughs> most of the times are not missing a string, but those are ready for people to come in and play and have a good time. Years ago, we had a group that would come in 
and just they'd grab the stuff off the walls and bring their own stuff in and have a jam session just out of the blue. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And go out and sit outside by the fire pit when it's a little bit cooler and do a little bit jamming, jamming out yeah. there. So That's awesome. I've never gone into a brewery and just seen a wall of instruments and a sign that says, play us. Yeah, that was <laughs> first thing. Was like, <laughs> I was like, a mental note, I want to ask about this. If I can actually touch these things. Absolutely. They're yours. Bring it on. Yeah. Cool, cool. You might tune them up while you're here. Hey, I could do that. <laughs> do my service. Don't have any strings, but we could tune the guitar. <laughs> we may have you do a little bit of maintenance while you're here. Then. I'm just going to kind of jump back to the homebrewing group that you mm-hmm. did the festival with. And we talked earlier about how you have a homebrewing group that meets here. Is it the same group? It's the same still? group. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, and we meet once a month, first Tuesday of every mm-hmm. month. Back in the day, we it was a larger, much larger group probably 150 people. Oh, wow. It was one of the largest in the Southeast. And what we found is that we, we were drawing people from Rock Hill and Fort Mill and Mooresville up in Irondale County and Waxhaw in that area. And that was a long drive for people to come to a homebrew club meeting and have some homebrews and then drive, drive back. Home. Yeah. So a lot of those folks started their own local homebrew clubs, which was good because it yeah. gave them an opportunity to grow some of those homebrew clubs. So we are not as large as we used to be, but we still have a really good core of people. We're yeah. probably 75 members, so we're still a pretty large group. And we've been an incubator for people to start. We've had a number of brewers that have come out of our homebrew club that have turned professional. Mm-hmm. I can count five or six off the top of my head that have gone on to be professional brewers that were here. At local places around here? Uh, Yeah, so you've got, and I'm hoping I don't forget anybody, so (laughs) don't hold me to all of these, because I'm gonna try to remember. You've got Chad Henderson from NODA. He was part of the Carolina Brewmasters, Mm -hmm. and they're still a friendly partner with us, if you want to call them a partner. They're they're really great to us. Uh, You've got Ben Dolphins, who's the head brewer up at Divine Barrel. Uh, You've got Alex Schoenthal, who's the head brewer over at Lower Left. Dave Gonzalez, who is head of brewer operations, brewery operations at Lost Worlds up in Cornelius, he didn't start as a home brewer, mm-hmm. but from a professional standpoint, he was always a part of our club. So we give him one of those designations that he was a part of this. Larry Pomerantz was one of our members in the early days. He left uh, to go to Flying Dog years oh, ago man. up in Maryland. I know I'm forgetting somebody, if you can count me as a professional but I'm not professionally brewing. So <laughs> that might not be the best, but there are, those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. All those ones we have not yet talked to. So yeah. if you're listening, we're coming for you next. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you've had some challenges in the past year or so, and we don't have to get into details, but I'd like to hear or what it took for you and your team for you to work through those. So yeah, there's no question that we've had some challenges with regard to our location and what's going on around us. And while it wasn't something that we liked, that's just the reality of business when you look at the business world. And that comes with leasing your own building, right? Mm -hmm. You, You are always in a situation where you're paying rent. And uh, until you own your own building, of course, that proposes, it has its own set of, of issues. But anytime you lease a, uh, a building, these are challenges that you'll eventually face down the road. Mm-hmm. And with all that being said, internally, we just still had to continue to focus on what we do. Make good beer, provide a welcoming place for people to come in our tap room and enjoy themselves. 
and work with our distribution partners to get it out to our retailers so the people that are out there drinking can drink it. We're a brewery, we make beer. And at the end of the day, that's where our focus had to be. Do those outside noises come in from time to time? They absolutely do. But at the end of the day, we've got a job to do, and mm-hmm. that's why we're here to do it. Oh, yeah. And that's a huge part of business, too, and something that we've experienced doing the podcast. You have to be open to pivot whenever you have to, mm-hmm. because there are so many external forces at play all of the time, whether you own the building, whether you're leasing, whether we're just traveling. We don't have a home base, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ability to be flexible and pivot and say like, all right, we'll figure this out either way. Yeah. A big it's part a, of how big is the team here? We have three of us that are full time people. Myself, Atticus, our head brewer, and Hunter, who is our tap room manager. We're the three full time employees. We have one, two, three, four additional folks that are either our servers working behind the bar. Lizzie, who you met a little bit earlier, yeah. she floats between the tap room and production. Okay. She's Atticus's assistant back here oh, in the production nice. area. And she does a great job, by the way. So I, I asked that question just because I know it did seem like a smaller feel. And, you know, as we're talking about those ups and downs and pivoting, was there any time in there that you had people run or you had to do maybe some internal events with just the staff to get your focus back to where it is? And That's a really of- good question. So when all of this started happening, and you know, we started getting some media coverage mm-hmm. on that. It was important for us to sit down with the team and yeah. say, hey, this is where we are. And we were truthful with our team. And too many times you hear of management and ownership not communicating properly with their personnel. We didn't want to do that. It was important to us to treat them like we would want to be treated. So we sat down and said, hey, this is where we are. But we also gave them a little bit of an education and background if they were to get questions Mm -hmm. from people that were walking in. Hey, I've heard this, I've heard that. A way to be able to answer them without going into too much detail that they didn't need to be our spokesperson, but we knew that they were gonna get questions. They They needed the tools to be able to answer those questions. We didn't have anybody leave because they were worried about things. We actually were fortunate to get some sympathy from uh, a lot of folks, especially the neighborhoods that surround Blue Blaze. They really have stepped up and taken us under their wing. They've been really supportive. But going back to the employees, we just made sure we always bring them up to speed on that. So they're just not flying by blindly. Yeah, that's a good thing for y'all to have done for them. I know there's been stories of people show up and they're just like, oh, I'm locked Doors out. Locked, Doors yeah. locked, right. there's chains. chains. on the door. Exactly. I guess so, I'm yeah. having a day off today. Yeah, there's still challenges as sure, a lot of us yeah. out here are experiencing with staffing yeah. and trying to get people and trying to get good people and keep people is one of the, the bigger challenges, but we've been lucky. We're always going to have a little bit of turnover. Sure, yeah. But we've been fortunate to have the group that we have and we're always backfilling positions when we see that somebody's turned in a notice, but they give us plenty of notice. We always try to have a little opportunity to backfill as quickly as we can in that case. Yeah, I think it says a lot about you and your management team that everyone stayed, they all trusted you guys. Yeah. It could have gone a totally different way. Well, I think, I can't speak for everybody. Me personally, I've been in situations where your employer hasn't been all that forthcoming. Mm -hmm. And I've just always, I've always held the attitude that communication is key. Deliver good news fast, deliver bad news faster thing, right? 
let's get it out in the open, not hide from it. Especially when there's media involved, too. You don't want a reporter coming up and you have no idea. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Then you're on the screen Uh like, oh, okay. (laughs) First I've heard of this. (laughs) We like to wrap up every episode with advice or words of wisdom that you would give to people looking to get into the industry. What I continue to be surprised with is the, the consumer is much more educated these days with regard to their beer styles. Back in the early days, you almost had to teach everybody the different beer styles. Not everybody's an expert, but a majority of people are at least uh, fairly knowledgeable about the styles know what they like, yeah. yeah. That's been interesting to see that out there. From a uh, being in it perspective and for people that are looking to get into it because we still have new breweries opening up every single day in North Carolina and across the U.S. My advice for anybody getting into this business is to, to do your homework first. If you're a home brewer and all your buddies are telling you you've got great beer, you should go into business for yourself. Take a hard look at that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to open up your own brewery, but do your homework. And if you're really serious, you need the financial backing. And I'm yeah. talking about serious financial backing, either on your own or through investors. And whatever you determine is going to be the amount that it's going to take to actually open up the doors of a brewery and start serving people, whatever that number is, double it. At <laughs> least. Double yeah. it. Yeah. You it you know, double it and you may want to double and a half yeah. because it's, it's a fun industry, but it's not an easy industry. Mm-hmm. And we love all of our breweries across Charlotte and in North Carolina. We're all in it together. Rising tide floats all boats, right? Mm -hmm. So if they do well, we do well. If we do well, we hope that everybody else does well too because that does our industry uh, as a whole very good. But we are still competitors at the same time. We're still fighting each other for that tap over there and that tap over there and that tap over there. So it's a very competitive business. It's not as easy as it used to be. Consumers are beginning to change their drinking habits. You're seeing a lot more lower alcohol beers being consumed. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the 0.05s and even the 00s. So you're gonna see a large sector of the beer market trend toward the 00s and the 0.5s out there. The younger crowd is not a big drinking crowd like some of their predecessors. Mm -hmm. They're looking at more healthy alternatives Mm -hmm. and so they're not drinking as much. The trending right now is uh, distilleries, craft distilleries. They're popping up, maybe not quite as often as a new brewery, but there's a lot of them out there. So there's a lot of additional opportunities for people to consume an alcoholic beverage, whether it be a kombucha, whether it be a seltzer, whether it be a beer, whether it be a wine, whether it be uh, a spirit. Going back to that, somebody opening up a business, make sure you, you know what you're doing, I would say, a kitchen is a key component these days. Six or seven years ago, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But keeping butts in seats is yeah. huge. Oh, yeah. And having a kitchen is key uh, to a lot of folks' businesses. And be prepared for a lot of hard work. Thank you. This yeah, has no, been, this been great. a great chat. We're ready to try some more beers. Yeah. For sure. And absolutely. <laughs> I appreciate you all coming by. Yeah, we appreciate yeah. you having us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again to Rick and the Blue Blaze team for the great beers and the stories. 
even this old Eagle Scout will learn a little something. If you like Rick's story and are thirsty for more, be sure to subscribe to Brews Rock. We'll be back every Friday with more stories from your favorite breweries. Cheers to that!